When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dewaney City Podcast, this was not the scheduled guest for this week because David Schuster was not supposed to be let go from WSCR 670 in our coronavirus times. Shoe, I hate the fact that you're not going to hear you on the radio. I know I'll see you at games regardless. Not easy times for anyone right now. I know you're already like bouncing back and doing the David Schuster thing, and thank you for being on tonight. But again, I just wanted to tell you that I'm sorry that uh, you, you have a life transition in front of you again. Yeah, it's okay, Mark. I mean, to be honest with you, the life transition is really what's going on in the world overall. It's not just me and it's not just sports. And by the way, I hope I see you at games whenever that is, and God knows when that's going to be. But the real thing obviously going on in life right now is what's going on with the whole virus thing. And and I pray um, that it goes away sometime in the near future, but I guess we'll all just have to wait and see. But yes, I'll be okay. When sports comes back, I'll be back in some capacity, and you never know. I, I might be back, as they say, bigger and better than ever. That's what I'm talking about. It's got to be incredibly weird for you, though, because you were go, 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 go. Cubs, Sox, Bulls, Blackhawks, Bears, Northwestern, whoever else, and you've got a lot of time on your hands right now. It's really weird. I really do feel like a cooped-up chicken right now, <laughs> <laughs> not only because there's no sports, but because of the pandemic and I'm just actually I'm getting my money's worth out of my house right now. I never got so much money's worth out of it by just sitting around almost doing nothing. It's so weird. I've done laundry twice in three days. I didn't have to do it. I would sometimes go weeks without doing it. And I've done it twice now in three days. I think I even washed the same thing that I didn't even wear. So that's that's and you know what? I, I, I'm scrubbing floors and I'm doing laundry. I think my next profession might be as a maid. <laughs> hey, whatever pays the bills, man, right? Right, uh, right. Are you cooking over there? Do you have male cooking David Schuster skills? Um, I'm not like an NBA player where I have somebody come in and do it for me. So, yes, uh, I, I, my culinary skills are not really that good, but I can boil water and throw something in it. So, yeah, I can do that. Okay. Have you ordered pizza? um yes i have well not over the last day or two but yes um your good buddy kaplan um (laughs) i'm definitely taking care of lou malnati's i'm I'm one of (laughs) i'm one of their favorite customers yes okay all right well here let's talk about because my favorite thing to discuss with you david schuster as you know is bulls basketball and the last dance is coming up here moved up to april the 19th let me start with this which Bulls team in your mind was the best Bulls team well I mean you have to go with the team that that won the 72 games and and won the championship that season that was the first full season after Michael came back I mean when he first came back they did lose to Orlando in that playoff series but they got revenge the next year by nailing them and everybody else so um, listen all of them were great to me it's it's like asking which one of your children is your favorites? They're all my favorites, to be honest with you, because I lived through it and I was basically front and center, all part of it. So, but if you're asking my, my, you know, which one I think was overall the best one, and it's refreshing to see these games. My God, it's so much fun, especially for me, because I was at all those games, you know, and I didn't watch them on TV. So now to 
actually watch them on TV right now is like, wow, um, it, it brings back a lot of memories, but I'm seeing it from a different perspective as opposed to when I was sitting courtside for all those games. So, but again, in answer uh, to your original question, I would have to go with, with the first one after he came back because they were 72-10, and 10, they got the revenge against Orlando, and they won another championship. So that, that would be the one that stands out for me. So I've been having the argument. I'm trying to fly up 91 when they went 15-2 and two in the playoffs, lost to the Lakers, and the game one where the Jordan shot goes halfway down and comes out, and they lost to Philly. I think they were trailing by 24 ended up losing in overtime by two. And, you know, Michael was in his closest to his athletic prime of any of the titles. Scotty was just coming into his own. They were, Bill Cartwright was was still a formidable center. In my mind, like 91 Jordan, better than 96 Jordan. Pippen in 91, I would say it was, it was better than 96 too. And I know this is semantics, but I'm, I, I don't think 91 gets enough credit. That team just smoked everyone, including sweeping the Pistons. Oh, 100%. I mean, first of all, they got they finally got over the hump against the Pistons and, and embarrassed them to the point where obviously they walked off the court before the game was over, those little brats. Um, <laughs> and, yes, they blitzed them and, and, and went through it. Michael, for sure, was more at his athletic peak even before they started winning championships. Yep. You ever want to get a real thrill, go back when he first came into the league and see what he did early on, even though he was playing with some really rotten teammates as far as overall players. I mean, the man could literally fly and stay up there for so long. And I remember it was like his third game, you know. And listen, I saw Jordan in college and, and you know, the Olympics and all that kind of stuff. But until you saw him firsthand, up close and personal to see what he could do, you just weren't sure yourself. But it was, I think, his third game. It was a Sunday afternoon. It was at the old stadium. I think, I'm pretty sure they were playing San Antonio and Artis Gilmore was still on that team. And I remember Jordan going down the lane. It was a Sunday afternoon. There, there couldn't have been 2,000 people. So people did not really know what was still coming down the pike. And, and so Gilmore, here's Jordan going down the lane for a dunk. Gilmore goes up a foot over the rim to block it. Problem was, Jordan went a foot and a half over the rim and dunked over Artis Gilmore. And that just blew me away because Artis Gilmore was a legit 7-2 and a big body to boot. And, and from that moment on, I thought, oh, my God, I'm seeing Barishnikov and Nuriev at the same time. <laughs> the man was just a, a gymnastic ballet freak, uh, an incredible talent, and the best athlete I've ever seen and ever hoped to see, to be honest with you. You started covering the Bulls what year, David? 1979. Okay. So we're talking Reggie Theus, David Greenwood, yep. that era. Yep. And, yep, yep. and then here comes Jordan. What do you, I, I'm just trying to like get, what was it like? I mean, I know they, they practice at angel guardian gym. Uh, <laughs> and, and I know, you know, as, cause I started going to games as an eight, nine year old. I remember Orlando Woolridge and Ricky Sobers and the sting would outdraw the bulls. The sting would get like 11,000 at the old stadium. The bulls would get like seven. The only time it would sell out was when Dr. J or bird or magic came into town. And then in even in even in Michael's years, early years, as you described, they didn't really start selling out every night until I think midway through or early in his third season. Then it was okay, he's just scored sixty three against the Celtics. This guy's completely out of his mind. And then the sellout streak started. But you could walk up to the stadium in eighty four and then he was hurt in eighty five. I mean it was wide open that season. But you could walk up and get pretty much any seat you wanted. 
Yeah, you know, and, and you got to remember also, I don't think that Paul was still in its heyday. Yeah, that's well, a good I mean, point. They, they started coming down a little bit at that point, but they were still pretty good. Yeah, the Bulls just were not a draw, and even in Jordan's first couple of years now, I, I wouldn't call it a secret, but, you know, it, it just wasn't the phenomenon that it became, obviously, later on, and, and there wasn't championships until much later on. I mean, there was a lot of growing pains, and Michael had some really rotten teammates. I, I shouldn't call them rotten, but they weren't very good. And so, yeah, it, it took a long time. And like I said, you ever want to see, uh, you know, the really the best of Jordan before he started winning championships? Go back on YouTube and take a look at his first three, four, five years. The man could fly. It, it, there wasn't anything that the man couldn't do. It was just unfreaking believable. <laughs> um, yeah, so it took a long time before it became a phenomenon. Um, and yes, I saw the Orlando Woolridge and the and the Sydney Greens and the David Greenwoods and the Ricky Sobers and the Quinton Dailies, and these are some of the better players. There were a lot worse <laughs> than that, to be honest with you. You know, the Cornell, and then uh, unfortunately later on, the Cornell Davids and Dalibor Bagariches and and uh, a few other slobs. You know, so yeah, Michael was like I, you know, I could go on and on and on about Michael Jordan. He was, to me, he was a superstar both on and off the court, Mark, because. He would stand there and answer the most inane question time after time after time, wave after wave, an hour after each game. He would be dressed impeccably and answer the dumbest questions. And uh, I try not to ask any dumb ones myself, but certainly there were a lot of dumb questions. And I just thought he was great. Yeah, as far as the YouTube thing, I'm going to recommend Jordan versus Pistons 1988, put in 59 points and watch that one. Uh, It was phenomenal. That was in the Silverdome. He dunked it one time. So I, I'm just curious. You're, you're covering him when he started, David, and then it became the worldwide phenomenon. What he was like in, say, 87 to what he was like in 98, how would you describe that? Well, younger, obviously, is the first thing that comes to mind. But, you know, as a basketball player, again, he was much more athletic. Um, you know, I mean, he, 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 he was fearless. He would dunk over anybody, everybody. Um, and, and he and, – you know, again, one of the beauties for me covering Jordan and again having the great seat that I always had at center court is that not only could I see everything he did, I could hear everything he he said. And he would tell guys what he was going to do, and he would do it. Obviously, I'm going around you. There's nothing you can do. You know, and I'm sort of paraphrasing and cleaning it up a little bit. Uh, and he could trash talk with the absolute best of them. And he had just a killer mentality, uh, second to nobody I've ever been around. But that's what I remember him on the court, off the court. He actually, you know, could, could go around, you know, um, I, I saw him in restaurants. I, you know, lived not too far from where he did. Of course, I'm in a coach house and he was in the state, but I lived <laughs> semi close to him and I would see him out in, in society, at least initially. And, you know, one time he asked me, cause I never would go up to him when I saw him out. He asked me one time, he goes, well, why didn't you come up to me and say hello, you know, or anything like that. I said, Michael, man, your time is your time, man. Uh, I'll catch you at, 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 at the Chicago Stadium or at the practice court, but I'm not going to come up to you in a restaurant. That's just not my thing. Uh, and then after, uh, obviously, a while, he, he couldn't go out anywhere. He, he never could go out after that. you know. And he built a big house, so people came to him. It was almost like going to the Pope. Yeah, I, you know, they win the title in 91, and they're coming back from L.A., and he lived on Windy Hill Lane in Highland Park. It was just a regular house, small driveway, nice house. I'm not, you know, it's, it was it was a very nice house, but it was a regular house. It wasn't in a gated community and behind the 23 gate. 
And we, there was like 40 of us, David, were, you know, I'm a, I've just graduated high school and we're waiting for him. And he pulls in, he's in his white Porsche, MJJJ, Michael Jordan, Juanita Jordan. And we all just stand there and look at him like a bunch of bozos. And he, <laughs> he extends his, his hand and everybody goes up and shakes his hand. And he says, thanks for coming like that. You know, that was 91. You didn't see him walking the streets much after they first won it, but he, no. there was still like a moment of normalcy there uh, where he could sort of be a regular guy. I'm just wondering, like, would he sit around after games and talk more in 88, 89, and just want to just chit-chat? Because, you know, in 98, when I first got to, got to cover him, it was wave after wave after wave, and he would answer the same question over and over again, but he was, you know, buttoned up in the suit that you were describing. I'm just curious, like, what was it like after a game in, say, 1988? Oh, gosh, it's sort of hard for me to remember. That's a long, long, long time ago now. I don't remember if it was – first of all, I don't think the media was then obviously what it was at the tail end of his career or even what it is now. So I don't recall that there would be as many media members. There weren't even as many media outlets, to be honest with you. There wasn't sports talk radio or anything like that. I mean, I was there, you know, at those games working for sports phone or something like that. So I'm having a hard time recollecting. I don't think he dressed to the nines back then like he did later on also. You know, he obviously, uh, you know, uh, uh, cleaned up his image, if you want to use that kind of terminology. Uh, So, again, I guess it was a little bit more buttoned down back in in those early days. And you got to remember, it was at the old Chicago Stadium. that, That place, their locker room was sort of a joke. It was a broom closet. So it certainly wasn't what it turned out to be at the uh, at the United Center later on. Uh, I remember, you know, when Artis Gilmore, <laughs> funny story, Artis Gilmore came to the Bulls later on. The Bulls, the Bulls locker room back in the day was so small that when Gilmore's, he would have the ice packs on his knee. He would sit in front of his locker. His legs were so long and the room was so small that his legs went all the way across to the opposing, or not the opposing, one of his teammates' lockers across the way. That's how small it was. And when you maneuvered in there, you were always careful not to step on somebody. So, again, the difference of the building made it a difference in the post games as well. Yeah. When did you start sitting courtside? Oh, gosh. I started doing stats for the visiting broadcast pretty early on, to be honest with you. So I would say... Oh, gosh, 1982, maybe, something like that. Yeah, so I've been doing this a long, long, long time. So you sat courtside basically for his entire career. Oh, yeah. That is special right there. That's a, that is, I'm extremely jealous is what I'm trying to say here, David (laughs) Schuster. Well, when I'm in a nursing home someday, maybe any day now, by the way, um, <laughs> I'll be able to tell those stories, and the guy next to me will say, get this guy out of here. He's hallucinating. <laughs> what what stories do you want told here in the last dance? What are you hoping they do? You know, I'm sort of curious myself. I mean, obviously, these are all, you know, films from God knows how many years ago now, 20-plus years ago. So, you know, they've been sitting around for a long time, at least, a lot of the videos from back then, I'm sure they've done, you know, subsequently, you know, in fact, I've seen even a little bit of the trailer. Somebody must have sat down with Michael Semi, you know, recently, you know, to get some updated stuff from him and some other people. But most of this filming was back back that season, that last season. Um, so I'm sort of curious. I'm sort of curious to see if I'll find my face somewhere in there in the midst of any of that. But that's not important. You know, they, 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 they were just an absolute rock star band wherever they went. 
you know, I traveled with them periodically on the road, certainly in the playoffs. And I would see, you know, the people lined up ridiculously long time lines, you know, at weird hours waiting to get a glimpse, if not an autograph from some of these guys. I don't recall Michael stopping and signing any autographs because otherwise he'd be there probably even still now. But, I mean, it's just ridiculous. They, they were the Beatles. They were the Beatles wherever they went. And when Rodman joined them for the second three-peat, it just was off the charts because he had his own kind of, uh, you know, a crowd that gravitated to him and his own entourage, obviously. So, yeah, it was just like a rock star band traveling all the time. I'm still conflicted on Rodman. I hated him so much with the Pistons. And then the bandwagon Bulls fan loves Dennis Rodman because he was mm-hmm. so damn entertaining. And he was great, especially in the 96 season. He, t- he tailed off after that. But uh, in the 96 finals, he almost could have been the MVP. So I, I don't know like what your feelings were when Dennis joined the team and Obviously, he, they needed him because Horace was gone, and he helped a ton, and they wouldn't have been 72-10 and 10 without him. But there was always something about it that just bothered me. Well, I get it. I mean, let's face it. You know, your, your recollection of him as a Piston was he's a dirty player. And listen, he, was, he, he had his dirty moments in a Bulls uniform, too. Yep. And you remember, certainly, when he threw Pippen into the uh, basketball stash, Fainchin, or whatever you call it. You know, so y- you never got past that. But, I mean, he was certainly – I mean, uh, unfortunately, I, I, I had to do the moonwalk with him too many times, walking down the hallway, trying to get him, you know, to interview him. He, never, he didn't talk in the locker room. He only talked running down the hall, and you had to stay in front of him and stick the microphone in his face. He was weird beyond weird, no question about it. But, you know, on the basketball court, specifically that season that you just mentioned, and I just saw one of the games against Orlando on TV the other night, my God, the man hustled his you-know-what off yep. all the time. And he was a smart player. He was a better passer than people realize, you know, and, and he could obviously get under the other, you know, whether he was a piston towards the Bulls or the Bulls towards any of their opponents, he definitely got under the skin of everybody. There's no question about it. And there's a lot to be said about something like that too. But you know what? He was effective. And somehow Jordan and or Pippen, well, specifically Jordan, kept him in line enough, not totally, but enough that he helped them win three championships. Yeah. Do you hope that they do a significant amount on Kraus and just the dynamic of that team? Because before the season started, he was saying this was the last year. And Michael was saying, well, I hope we can come back and do it again. And Phil was saying that this is the last year. This is our last dance. And I'm saying, why would you guys quit before somebody beats you? I mean, who knows what would have happened in 99? It was a shortened season. I think they would have won it again if everybody had come back. Now, granted, they, yeah. I mean, they were dragging, but I would have loved to have seen what would have happened. There was, a, it was just yeah. a, there was a lot around the team. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I mean, even long before that season, there was this personality conflict. Uh, you know, Jordan and Pippen and so many others made fun of Kraus. Kraus and Phil Jackson were not never on the same page, seemingly. So there, it was like there was like a faction, to be honest with you. It was a front office, coach, team, uh, team and team and players against the front office. You know, and, and Jordan, uh, you know, went out of his way to make sure that they won that last season, if you will. But you sort of knew that, you know, it, like like a lot of things, like like uh like Martin and Lewis, to be honest with you, at, at some point you knew they were going to break up, you know, like a marriage. At some point they just weren't getting along and it was going to bust up. That's what was going on. I think almost anybody who was around the team knew that was going to uh, going to happen. 
we might not have been privy to all the individual arguments or, or things that were going on, but you certainly knew that there was just sort of not a good atmosphere that was going on behind the scenes. And like I said, they won in spite of all that. And I guess you could say the same thing about, you know, those great A's teams out in Oakland. You know, they, they, they hated each other, to be honest with you, and yet they won championships. I agree with you, Mark. They should, they should have kept going. You know, you should always keep going. There, there's like an old saying in basketball, you keep going until you miss your last shot. Um, and so that's the way I, I feel about it, too. Yeah. If you had a Hall of Fame vote, would you vote for Jerry Krause? Yes, I would. He was the general manager of a team that won six championships. You can say what you want about him. He did build around Jordan. Obviously, Jordan was the main cog, but it's still, you have to build around, you have to, you have to find players to build around them. Now, Michael always went out of his way every time somebody new came to the team, especially in the second three-peat. He said, I'm going to win you a championship this year. And you know what? Sometimes almost single-handedly he did. But still, Jerry Krause was the general manager of that team. And he brought in Phil Jackson. You know, you can say what you want, even though they didn't get along at the end. He did bring him in. He, 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 he made certain trades to get Scottie Pippen. He brought in other players to compliment Jordan. So, yes, in answer to your question, yes, I, he, he should be in the Hall of Fame. It's the age-old Jerry Krause argument. So I, I would fly up that he drafted only one all-star, perennial all-star in Scotty. I don't think he gets enough credit for hiring Phil, who no one was hiring. That was a great, and it took a lot of guts to move on from Doug, and it was the right thing. And I like Doug a ton. That was a smart move that was ridiculed at the time, and Jerry had the, had the guts to go ahead and do it. Scotty Pippen was good enough that they won six titles. You just needed one guy with him. He was so good that just give me one, but he got the one. So maybe just in essence, in the, and for that reason alone, I guess I could say, hey, he got the one guy that he needed. They won six titles. That would be my best argument for him from my seat. Well, but he also brought in Rodman. Yeah. And Rodman helped him win three championships too. So, I mean, you can take a look at, at their two three-peats to see, you know, you can say Pippen the first three-peat, among others. He also traded – uh, Oakley to get Cartwright, and that helped them win a second championship, second three-peat. So he did make moves. I mean, yes, Jordan was always going to be there, but Jordan didn't win championships for quite a while, you know, until until they finally built the right pieces around him. And, you know, then he became more of a team player on top of everything else and, and bought into the coach's system. But, yes, I, you got to give Jerry Krause credit. He was the GM, and it's not like he sat on his you-know-what. He, he did make moves to help them win. Yeah. So I don't want to be just picking at little things here, but on the graphic, on the, on the picture of, of the documentary, you've got Michael, Scotty, Dennis, and Phil, and they put Steve Kerr on there. Mm-hmm. Like, come on, man. That's got to be either Tony or Harp. I know that Steve had a huge shot in 97. I know he's a great talker, and I'm sure he's all over the documentary, but he does not belong on that photo, David Schuster. I'm not going to disagree with you, but, you know, and I've seen your argument on this one, and I've seen the uh, contrasting uh, viewpoint, and the contrasting viewpoint is that Steve Kurt now is known more than any of those guys because That's true. You know, he won championships as a coach at Golden State, even though that was 20-plus years after this, that picture was taken. So I, I get from a marketing standpoint why they did it. To me, it's not the biggest of issues. Yes, it should have been Kukoc or Harper. Harper was sort of like the quiet guy of that team. You know, didn't really get that much recognition, although he was part of the, the Dobermans at times defense. 
you know, and it was the quiet guy on that team. Kukoc, you know, I appreciate watching Kukoc. He made some really smart plays specifically in that season, all season long. And you know what? Even though uh, uh, Kuko, excuse me, Jordan and Pippen initially just tortured him in the Olympics initially, and then later on when he first came to the Bulls, they came to realize that he was a talented player and that he could help them also win championships. And they slowly but surely gravitated to him as well. But again, from a marketing standpoint, I get why ESPN did it. Not that I agree with it, but I understand why they did it. Yeah, that that's a fair point. It's let's we got it. We got it. We're trying to sell the documentary or Carm and Steve Kerr is known. Don't be such a curmudgeon. Fair enough. <laughs> Here, I want to wrap up with Pax because you've had him on on Christmas uh, holiday for years, and Pax was beloved as a player. Hit the shot in '93. Scored ten in the fourth quarter of Game 5 in the Lakers in 91, clutch as hell, incredible competitor, did everything he could to fight Isaiah Thomas despite being you know, not anywhere close to him athletically, all that stuff. And now he's despised in this town by so many because the Bulls aren't where everybody wants the Bulls to be, which I'm sitting there like, hey, you got to have some luck in the NBA to get that superstar, and the Bulls just haven't had it. They've tanked, and if they had Zion right now or John ja Morant or if they had fallen into you know, any of the top players the last couple of years, it would look differently. They've just been picking number seven, and I understand that luck's not a plan either. But I'm just wondering, does it bother you that Pax is sort of looked at the way he is right now considering everything he did on the court? Absolutely. Uh, not because of what he's done on the court you know, as a player. Um, you know, Listen, he, he got – a honeymoon for a long time because of that being a player for a long time. But that's not why. I mean, first of all, I might not be the best person to, to talk about this because, you know, I've known him for a long time and he's been a good friend and he continues to be a good friend right now. But, you know, how many, how many general managers or vice presidents or whatever you want to call that title have won championships over the 18 years? Not that many, to be honest with you. So you start with that. Um, he, he did make some moves that you can certainly criticize. You know, when they talk about, you know, Derrick Rose going down, I don't know if they would have won a championship, but I think they would have been very, very good for a long time if Derrick had continued his upward climb, um, you know, without the injuries, and, and maybe they would have built around him further. Who knows? Um, again, you could question a lot of things. I question basically more than anything else some of his coaching hires over all these years yep um you know they've drafted they 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 drafted pretty good down low maybe some of the higher draft picks a couple of those years were not very good to be honest with you uh unfortunately in the lottery they've sort of they've gotten you know they might draft number seven again if there's even a draft this year so they've gotten unlucky a little bit in that overall I, i understand the criticism criticism of his uh and and along with gar foreman as well but, you know, he's done some good, some not so good. Um, but, again, I might be the wrong person because I really like John. He's a good person. And, you know, he wants to win. He really wants to win more than, more than anybody may think. He wants to win not only for Jerry Reinsdorf, of which, you know, he's very loyal to him, but for the city of Chicago. You know, he, he loves this place. And, you know, he's going to be a good teammate here. They are going to hire somebody else that person will have pretty much total autonomy to do what they want. Pax will be there in an advisory role, obviously. He'll probably still be the president of the team and 
still be around you know, the table to help with decisions, but I don't think he'll be the ultimate decision maker going forward. And like I said, I don't think that'll bother him. He'll go more in the background. He didn't want to be front and center like he's been the last couple of years, but Gar Foreman sort of dropped the ball on that one. And so it was, unfortunately it fell to packs and he doesn't really like, he doesn't relish dealing with the media like, like he's had to over the last couple of years, but he had to for obvious reasons. He'll be more than happy to go back into the background, but he'll still be part of, of, of the food chain, if you will. But uh, so whoever's coming in will have autonomy to make those final decisions going forward. You think Gar's still around? I think they'll offer him, and I think he will still stay around. I think it'll be mostly in a, in a scouting capacity, you know, however they want to phrase it. I mean, he is a good scout. You know, he, he, he does what a scout's supposed to do. He beats the bushes, and he's on the road for long stretches at a time. You know, and he is consulted, you know, a lot of things when it comes to collegiate players and international players. And he is pretty good at that, but he wasn't as good as a general manager. And, you know, at times he had conflicts with a lot of people that, you know, you just can't have if you're a general manager. So I think he will be offered. And he's also liked uh, by by the Reinsdorf family. So I think, yes, I think he will stay around in some capacity. Bulls fans aren't going to like this, David Schuster. Yeah, it's okay. (laughs) What are you going to do? And when you're a fan, you don't like a lot of things sometimes. That's just the way it is. Yeah. Well, we'll see who they bring on in here. It's, it'll it'll be interesting what, what that name will be. And when they do it, just kind of crazy time to be searching for a general manager. But uh, it, the word is out that they're they're on the prowl. So I'm interested to see how it'll all turn out. Last one here, David. What, what will you miss most uh, about the score? Oh, certain people. I mean, you always hear that one. Yeah. When athletes move from team to team or they retire or whatever. Yeah, there's certain people there. I'm not going to get into names because that's not fair. But, yeah. yeah, certain people there. I mean, the camaraderie kind of thing. You know, again, I'm not going anywhere. I'll still be at all the sporting events. I mean, I have a lot of opportunities both, you know, nationally and hopefully somewhere down the road locally as well. But, uh, again, I might not be on the air or work with some of the people that I've worked with and there's some good people over there, so yeah, that's the thing I'll miss most. I am definitely gonna miss the hits with Les Grobstein. It's gonna buy. <laughs> it's just that that should be in the Radio Hall of Fame for all the treasure. Damn it, it was so good. So well, but to be honest with you, Les and I have been doing that off the air. Oh, I know all games for for decades. So <laughs> you know, you'll be at those games. You'll hear them firsthand. If you want to stick a microphone between us, you. You can you can have a podcast from that alone. Do you remember do you remember the name Seth Marks? I don't I don't oh, know. Oh, you got to you got to refresh my memory. So Seth was uh uh I did radio with him on on what was called The Naked Truth About Sports on on 927 the Bear. It was night it was it, we had no business covering the last year of the Chicago Bulls. Certainly, you know, it was it was just a bizarre scene and we're all sitting there at dinner one night at the United Center, and we're at a table with Bruce, uh, Bruce Levine, and 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 Les, and maybe yourself was there, and we honestly thought we were having dinner with straight royalty. Like this was, <laughs> this was the greatest thing that had ever happened. I mean, the only thing I think that was missing was maybe Chet Kopic at the table because we both grew up, you know, listening to Kopic on sports. But uh, so we're sitting there, and 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 Seth's like, we you we got to we got to record this, and. We were just recording it for like our own thing, just to remember that we were there because we thought that they'd kick us out and we never would even be anywhere in the business, right? And Les caught me 
He's like, and he was so mad at me. I'm like, Les, I wasn't going to play that on the radio. I don't even have a radio to play it on. But I, I, it was it was dead wrong by me. But it was that 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 felt like something that needed to be recorded just for time's sake. So you saying that you can record you and Les made me think of that. Oh, uh, heck yeah. Oh, my God. Some of, some of the best stuff that's never gone on radio is Les and I at Bears games, you know, <laughs> where he says something so inanely dumb. And I can't help it. I jump all over him. And then it's like 10 minutes of. You know, people just in stitches from from, from the back and forth. And, and no offense to Les, and I love Les, to be honest with you. I really do. I, I've known him, and he's a good person. But he's it, when you go into these, like, uh, you know, uh, debates or arguments, you know, and you're sort of insulting the other person, and hopefully in an intelligent but kind, loving way, Les just does not have any good comebacks whatsoever. So it, it's like the tortoise and the hare. He's the He's the tortoise. I'm the hare, and you know, I just fly laps around him. It's sort of comical. It's it's the greatest. And last story on the way out here. I'm producing at the score. Les is doing overnights. I'm trying to get in with him and be a you know a good teammate. And he asked me, "Hey, Mark, what are you doing this weekend? Nothing, Les. What do you got? Great. You can help me move. I helped. <laughs> I helped him move, David Schuster." media guide after media guide after media guide and uh, it, it was a and he was not prepared for the move so it turned into like a three-day move uh but then mm-hmm. but, but but to your point I love Les and he's a he's a straight legend and there's nobody like him and uh yeah it's it's any any fun at Les's expenses is, is is made in a friendly way because Les is uh is a, is a great person and he's yeah. If you if you've ever seen his car, it's a file cabinet on wheels. <laughs> it's, it's so good. Hey, Chu, uh, thanks for taking time, man. I really appreciate it. And uh, anytime, Mark. Once these documentaries get going on, let's let's have you on again and get some reaction to what they what they all put together. You bet. I'll look forward to that, and I'll, and I hope to see you real soon. And whoever's listening to this, wash your hands often. Stay healthy. Stay safe. This is no joke. What's going on out there? Let's get through this, and let's get sports going again soon. No doubt. The great David Schuster, thanks for being with us. Anytime, Mark. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working... The HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.